0: Today, we start a new series in the book of Philippians. Philippians is an epistle, which means it's a letter. There are several letters in the Bible, in the New Testament, letters that come from the apostles. And one of the things we mentioned the last couple weeks is that as a church that is committed to Jesus Christ, we are committed and devoted to. To the apostles' teaching, all right? And this is front and center. The apostles' teaching they were devoted to, the fellowship of believers, the community. They were devoted to uh, the breaking of bread, which means worship and remembering Christ and his work. And they were devoted to prayer. And we had prayer circles last week, which went really cool. Still, I'm thinking about those and smiling. But today, we're stepping in to some straight-on commitment, devotion, to the Apostle's teaching from the Apostle Paul. One of those letters. It's actually one of his uh, prison letters because he wrote this letter from a prison, most likely in Rome. And he wrote it to a church in a city called Philippi. Just like if the Apostle Paul had connection with us and he was alive today, he could write the Awakening Church in Temecula a letter. And so we're going to be looking at this letter over the next several weeks. And what we're going to find in this letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi is a ton, a ton of encouragement. In fact, we're going to find him challenging the people to have joy to rejoice, to be encouraged one to another. There weren't a lot of huge problems going on in this church, and so it was one of those letters that's a a little bit lighter and and more casual and directed on a personal level to them because he had this bond with the church in Philippi. So, hashtag joy in Christ. That's our series for the next number of weeks. You good to go? All right. All right. This is my question to you. Are you having your joy stolen from you in life today? And if your joy is being stolen from you in life today, what are the joy stealers or the joy thieves that you're confronted with? Because we all want joy. We want happiness. We want contentment. We want life. But Around us every day are joy stealers, and these thieves will come at you in various ways. The first joy stealer that we can mention to you is the joy stealer of um, circumstances. Do you know that you can't control a lot of your circumstances in life? But yet, your joy is stolen because of circumstances. You could not control the circumstance of weather today, it's a little chilly. I'm glad from a Midwest boy that I can wear a sweater today. (laughs) You can't control the weather. You can't control traffic. Were you stuck in the traffic this week? You couldn't control anything about being stuck in that traffic. You can't control what people do. You can't control what people think. But yet our circumstances end up stealing our joy. You can't control who's going to win the NFC and AFC championship game today to be in the Super Bowl. There's a lot of things you just can't control. We let circumstances steal our joy. I can't believe this is all happening, or I can't believe I'm in this situation. The second thing that's a joy stealer are people. People. Stories told of a girl that got off, uh, got let off from school. She stomps into the house, slams the door shut, grumbles underneath her voice, wakes her, makes her way up stairs, and slams her bedroom door all the way going, people, 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 people. Dad goes upstairs, knocks on the door, says, are you okay? Is everything all right? Can I come in? No, you can't come in. Well, why can't I come in? Because you're a people. That's why. (laughs) People, they will do things. They will say things. You and I cannot control the actions, the responses, the attitudes of those who are around us. But yet people steal our joy. What else steals our joy? How about things? Things steal our joy. We think that we need the next thing, the next item. We pursue and we pursue to be able to accumulate, thinking that the next thing will get us to the place of joy or sustain our joy because our joy has been fleeting. And we find, as it says in Luke um, 12, that uh, uh, that a man's joy, if you will, that his life is not found in the abundance of his possessions. Abraham Lincoln was walking down the road with his kids, two boys one day, and they were bickering and fighting and crying with one another. Friend walked up alongside Abraham and says, what's wrong with the boys? And he says the same thing that's wrong with everybody in the world. I have three walnuts, and each boy wants two. <laughs> I need my share. I need to have more. Things are joyers. Um, that will steal the joy as well. And the last thing that I'll mention to you that steals our joy is worry. We worry. We let tapes go over in our mind, things of the past, things of the present, worries about tomorrow, things of next week, next year. We worry. And worry steals our joy and pulls us asunder every day. And it can even affect us physically, doesn't it? Worry. And you can go and get some medication that can... Cover the symptoms, but not the causes. You can go to the drugstore, and you can find something uh, to help you sleep, but not something that can give you rest. Worry is a joy stealer. So in your life, when it comes to the subject of having joy, what's the stealer that's gnawing and eating away at your life? Is it circumstances? Is it people? Things, more things? Or is it worry? I'm with you. All of those things try on me each and every week as well. The Apostle Paul writes this very personal letter to Christians in Philippi to let them know that there's a place to find their joy. The guy's writing the letter from a prison, for goodness sakes. And 19 times throughout this letter, he mentions the word joy or rejoice or gladness. And you're like, what? From prison? From prison, Paul writes this letter. And so you might be in a predicament today, and maybe you're not in an actual prison cell, but you're in some other kind of prison of life, and you're crying out and saying, nobody can understand this, or how do you dare speak on a subject of joy? You don't know what's going on. In my I tell you what, Paul's in the same kind of boat. He has a lot of reason to complain, too. He's actually uh, on house arrest in a house prison, but he's chained to a guard 24-7. They didn't have the little ankle bracelets then or some type of electronic device, right? You were physically chained within a chain's length of uh, a guard, an elite guard, and you could not get further away than the length of that chain. But here he is, writing One of the most endearing epistles, the most endearing letter for many people that's recorded in the New Testament. And his letter has survived to us over all these years. Here he is, most likely in Rome. Nero was Caesar at the time. He did writings. Any of you read any writings of Nero? No. But here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're reading the writings of the Apostle Paul. People call their dogs Nero today, but they call their sons Paul. That's enough said. We get to look at this letter for these weeks. I challenge you to go to the letter of Philippians. Sit, sit down and read it in one reading. It's only four chapters. My son this week said to me, he says, Dad, how are you going to speak that many weeks on well, that letter? It's only got four chapters. I go, oh, you wait and see, friend. A lot of great statements, a great riches are found in this letter. In fact, you would probably recognize some of the scriptures that are referenced. These are some of the verses. Some of you have memorized these kind of verses. You familiar with these statements? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Or your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. How about rejoice in the Lord always? And I will say it again, rejoice. Philippians four four. It's one I remind my kids about a lot. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Or finally here, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Do those phrases sound familiar to you? They come out of the epistle, the letter of Paul in a prison to the Christians in Philippi. Let me do a little bit of background because it's helpful to understand who these people are that he's writing to, right? It helps us give context and understanding. Well, Philippi is a city in Greece, northern Greece. You see the dot there on this map. Philippi was a city that the Apostle Paul had actually visited in somewhere between the year of 49 and 52. And he visited on his second missionary journey. The Apostle Paul who had been Saul, was a devout Jew who was persecuting Christians, was saved uh, on the road to Damascus, which was up towards uh, north of Jerusalem there at one time, and God struck him blind. He ended up seeing Jesus, convinced Jesus was Christ. Saul, who had been persecuting Christians, gave his life to Christ. He became a follower of Christ, and he became the lead missionary in all of the known world at that time. And the Apostle Paul had three missionary journeys that he took, on the second missionary journey, he headed north from Jerusalem up past Antioch, where is the first church was in Antioch. That's where people were called Christians for the very first time, was in Antioch. He headed up into what today is modern-day Turkey. It was a province of Asia. Asia Minor It was referred at that time. And if you study through the book of Acts, you'll find him stopping at different places and starting churches. The Apostle Paul was a church planter. He started churches. And as he went through Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, he would establish these places, be encouraged by the people, and then he would move on. Well, he established some of these places in Asia Minor, the first missionary journey. So the second missionary journey, he's back in Jerusalem, he heads north. He wants to go to some of these places in Asia Minor, say, hi, how's it going, man? You hanging in there? That kind of thing. But God seems to be directing his path in some unique and different kinds of ways. He ends up going over to the edge of the Aegean Sea, which is just north of Ephesus. There's a dot. It's not a title, but that's Troas. And he ends up at Troas. He's wanting to probably go on down to Ephesus and some other places in Asia Minor. But the scriptures in Acts 16 say that the Spirit of God would not allow him to go in those directions. And so I want to give you some some information on the backdrop of how Paul ended up then going to Philippi. Now, I could just sort of articulate it to you, but I don't think I can do any better than scriptures itself. So if you have your Bibles or your version app on the phone or whatever it is, I am going to read from the New Living Translation part, mostly the whole chapter, of Acts 16. So endear yourself to the story. Take a trip, not through slides or through video, but take a trip with your the imagination of your mind, picturing Paul In Troas, trying to decide, what are you saying to me, Lord? So they went on through Amasia and the seaport of Troas. Verse 9, Acts 16. That night, Paul had a vision, a man from Macedonia in northern Greece. The northern Greece area there is also known as uh, Macedonia. By the way, once you crossed from uh, up into that area of Philippi, you now are in Europe. If you've ever been to Istanbul, Istanbul stands between Asia and Europe, all right? That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news, to preach the gospel there. So he's got this dream, and in this dream, he sees a man saying, come over to Macedonia. Ah, Paul thinks to himself, right? Maybe this is why God wasn't allowing us to go in some other directions. See, God can speak through dreams. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight through the island of Samothras, And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. Let me highlight for you the reason the gospel was able to spread so quickly was because there were really good road systems that the Romans and the Roman soldiers had laid down over a number of years. All right, If you were to go from Rome down to the heel of Italy and then sort of take a boat across into um, the uh, other part of area over there towards then Greece, There would be a road that would go all the way through Philippi and all the way on up over to what's the Black Sea, which is the sea up on the upper right. And then there were other roads that would break off of that. In fact, you can go walk that road today. It's cobblestone, some of it, some relics of it. And these were roads that the Romans built. And so there was commerce and traveling happening all the time. And so the Apostle Paul was actually walking on those roads, him and Timothy, Paul and Silas. And then also Luke, who wrote the Gospel uh, of Luke and the book of Acts, recorded that. He was a doctor, physician, was with them. All right. In fact, I looked at pictures this week of the Roman road that extended through that whole region. I thought to myself, I want to go walk on those stones. Isn't that so cool that these very stones the Apostle Paul walked on? So they land at Neapolis, which is along the sea, and then they went inland about 10 miles to Philippi. On the Sabbath day, we went a little way outside the city to a river bank verse 13, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer and we sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. Normally, Paul would arrive in a town and he would find the synagogue because the Jewish religion was well in play. So he would go and he would speak in the synagogues, but he got to Philippine, apparently there was no synagogue there. But he found some of the Jewish believers, people that believed in the one God, that were down along the riverside. They were meeting for prayer. We sat down to speak with them, with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple clothes. Remember Lydia's name. Who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be uh, her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer of the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she urged us until we agreed. So he begins telling the story of Jesus to these Jews. And they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, that he died, that he rose from the grave. And she says, we are true believers now. Come and be, you know, in our home and in our gathering area. The first real missionary trip to Europe, the first true converts, at least from the apostle Paul, in Europe, Lydia. One day we were going down to the place of prayer. We met a slave girl. This is an incredible story. We met a slave girl, and she had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money from her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. (laughs) Verse 18. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated. Now, can you picture this? A person that's demon-possessed, that's acknowledging who these men are, that they're telling the truth, She's helping her uh, bosses make a bunch of money by telling fortunes. And yes, fortune tellers can work because they tap into the demonic side of life and are being able to articulate things. But he didn't bother with her, but he was about his business. But she kept tagging along, tagging along, pointing them out, pointing them out and saying, hey, these people, you, you these people, they know. They're servants of the Most High God. So this went on day after day until Paul got so <laughs> exasperated that he turned around and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Whoa, step back. Her master's hopes of wealth were not were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with rod, wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and, when they, and then they were thrown into prison. This is in Philippi. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into the stalks. Now, as this story sort of unfolds with some of these different dynamics and knowing it's the first missionary journey into Europe and all that God starts to do in transforming uh, that world at the time, this would be a great movie, a great epic. And here they are thrown into prison because they delivered a a slave girl from um, demonic spirits. Around midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself because he'd been in trouble, right? If the prisoners escaped, even though it was an earthquake. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Can you picture that scene? And they're all still there. Don't kill yourself. Is this really the first jailhouse rock? I read somebody said it this way. (laughs) Earthquake, doors broke open. All the music singing. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked them simply. It's a great statement. Sirs. What must I do to be saved? They replied, simple, straightforward. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and he washed their wounds Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and they set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they had all believed in God. Whoa! What an incredible story. God uses an earthquake, frees Paul and Silas, and they are able to minister to the actual guard that was going to kill himself, and he becomes a believer in Christ. His whole household becomes a believer in Christ. And guess what? This church that he went to plant is starting to grow. Verse 35, the next morning the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, hey, city officials have said, You and Silas, you're free to go, free to leave, go in peace. Verse 37, but Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want to have us leave secretly? Uh Uh-uh, certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens as well as Jews. See, they had rights. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. I just like reading stories like that. When's the last time you've just got into scriptures and read the stories of Jesus taking over the world? In small and subtle ways. But the church was born in Europe. Northern Greece. That group at Lydia's home. Can you imagine the excitement and the intensity? There she was with her family members. There was the jailer and his family members. There were others that had come to know Christ. It's just like churches today as we start to aggregate and we come together. Around what? Good food? Around the life that Jesus gives. The hope that Jesus gives. And breaking people free from chains. Not physical chains sometimes, but emotional chains and spiritual chains. Things that have bound us. Jesus is breaking people out of jail today. How about you? God is so good and faithful through these 2,000 years. He keeps at it from one town to the next, to the next. The Apostle Paul, he left Philippi. He goes on to Berea and Thessalonica, which are over on the the, uh, western edge of the uh, Aegean Sea. Ends up on down into Athens and Corinth. And then he heads back to Caesarea and Jerusalem, thus finishing the second missionary journey. You can read about it all. It's there in the book of Acts for all of us. Historically recorded by a very good historian, the medical doctor Luke. It's important for you to know a little bit of the background of Philippi. You ever read somebody else's mail? and It doesn't make any sense. You need to know a little bit of the background. They were special believers. They were special Christians. And they had a special relationship with Paul. Why? Paul started their church. Paul and Silas led them to the Lord. They had a very touching and intimate, if I can say that, relationship with Paul. How about the person that led you to Christ or maybe somebody that influenced you early on? Somebody that you were part of with ministry in the early years of your life. There's sort of this bond. It's like, hey, remember when we did that? I have different people throughout my life that are that way. In fact, I want to share when we close this morning about one of those individuals we did ministry together. We saw God birth cool things together and develop stuff. And it's like, yes, we have that relationship. Even though the years and the miles may separate us. And even if we're not even in conversation, sometimes very often, there's a bond. Paul sitting in Rome 10 years later, after another excursion where he was in trouble because he was spreading the gospel, writes this letter Back to the Christians in Philippi. Thus, the book of Philippians. Let us see how this letter starts out. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, they did their salutations, their greetings up front. You didn't have to flip through all the pages to find at the end who the letter's from. It says up front, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ, Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, they're sending this letter. Now, why is he sending this letter? He's sending this letter for various reasons. One is they had sent a friend from that church in Philippi, Aphroditus, and Aphroditus had traveled to Rome or where Paul was in prison. We believe it was in Rome at that time and had come to give Paul a gift, a financial gift, because Paul was uh, on his own, and he needed resources, and they loved him and cared for him. He didn't go out underneath some mission organization at that time. They sent through Aphrodite this encouragement. Aphrodite, while he was there in Rome, got very, very sick. And so they were concerned about Aphrodite. They were concerned about Paul, and Paul wanted to let them know what was up with him, how he was doing how Aphrodite was doing because he'd been ill, and also wanted to thank them for this financial gift and give them encouragement about things he'd probably heard from Aphrodite concerning what was happening in the church at Philippi. So there's about maybe eight to ten years difference between Paul starting this church in Philippi, having finished that missionary journey, other things going on, but Paul ends up getting sent to Rome because of his missionary efforts and proclaiming Jesus, and he is sitting in this house arrest prison chained to a guard, waiting for his day before the authorities, for Caesar. He writes this to the holy people of Jesus Christ in Philippi. Another version will say saints. The word saints is not somebody who's perfect, but it's those who are followers of Christ. And so in the NIV here, it's translated holy people in Christ. And then he identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say apostle in this particular letter, which is the last of the four prison letters. He just simply says servants. Or maybe some of your translations say the word slaves. Doulos is the word, the Greek word there. Because you see the word servant, we think, oh, that's very nice. Thank you for serving my table meal today as I go out to eat after church. That was very kind of you. No, that's not really the concept Paul was wanting you to know. It was more like slave now there were slaves in bad ways and slaves in some type of good ways, but the slave idea meant that you were a bonded servant you were indentured to this you were in you know connected to this person to be able to serve them in a um reporting kind of bonding commitment way. And he says, I am sending you this letter. You need to know who I am. I am not, you know, all these other things that maybe he could give accolades about because he had all the credentials. He had all the degrees. He just says, I and Timothy, man, we are servants. We are slaves of Christ. We're sending you this letter of encouragement because you are the saints. You're the holy people because you're in Christ at Philippi. Together with all the overseers, And the deacons. Deacons were anybody that worked in a church. that were part of a ministry. So you could say that you're a deacon if you're serving on any type of ministry team around here. And overseers was probably the pastors. So he said, here's this letter I want to send to you. Grace and peace. And grace and peace. I mean, that's substance and core of uh, uh, what the gospel really is. They sort of go together. You can't pull those apart. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So they get this parchment and they read this and they go, oh, we're getting a letter from our friend. We're getting a letter from our leader. I wonder how he's doing. You ever been endeared to a letter or an email that you get? I thank God, in verse 3, every time I remember you, Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is the first place where the word joy is used by the Apostle Paul in this letter. And he puts it in conjunction with praying for them. I'm praying with joy for you. And why? Because he's sitting in his prison cell just like you and I do when we hear from a friend. Or we think about it. It's like, oh man, those are good times. Man, those are really good times. And thankfully, the human spirit a lot of times forgets the bad times like think of an expedition or some trip you went on with some friends, and there was some really yucky stuff that went on, but then you think about, oh, but that was good. Oh, those photos remind you that was some good times. So he's sitting in this prison cell, and he's thinking, wow, what a trip that was. We weren't even going to go to Philippi, and I got this dream and this vision to head up there. We all took off trusting God. We met up with Lydia down along the riverside. She was just Praying to the one true God that she didn't know about Jesus, man. Then when then we were talking to other people in the city. Remember that slave girl, and she was you know uh, demonized, and and we were so frustrated. We turned around and we saw the power of Jesus free her from that demonic spirit. We got thrown into prison. That was crazy, nuts. Thrown in that dungeon. You remember that? We were singing. We were having a good time. Earthquake came. Yeah, earthquake came. Oh yeah. Wow, in that jail, he was really going to stab himself. He was going to kill himself. And then, whoa. And, and, and then his whole household came to be followers of Jesus. Do you know this letter to the Philippians? Probably went to that jailer, don't you think? Lydia read it. Her whole household read it. <laughs> He's sitting there in that prison cell in Rome going, wow. Those are some tough times. But those are good memories. I remember you, and I thank God for you in all my prayers for all of you people there in Philippi. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel, not because they just had good meals together and went out to the movies, is because there was a partnership in the spreading of the gospel on the hope of Christ. Now, this passage, I want you to know. I'm not the Apostle Paul by any means. But when I pause sometimes and I think about this church, I want to say those words. I thank my God every time I remember you at the awakening and all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because... Each of us together in this room, whether as students, whether as adults, whether it's children and the children's workers or whether seasoned believers or young believers, whether rich or poor, we together are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ from the first day till now. And you know what? We have a bond together as a people. And that bond will last a lifetime. We are partners and friends for not only a lifetime even, but for eternity. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing bonds people together like working together for the cause of the kingdom of Jesus. Do you have those kinds of friendships? Or are your friendships just sort of based on who likes you in that season? Who's got something that you can, you know, sort of schmooze off of them? Or because you just happen to be working on a bummer project together at work? Or do you have friends that you're cultivating because of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You go on mission with him, you'll become not only fully alive in your spirit, but you'll become fully alive in purpose. Paul had that with these who were at Philippi. We have that one with another if we devote ourselves to the partnership of the gospel for 2018. He adds this in verse 7. This is what they were doing. The partnership in the gospel. He was doing it. He knew they were doing it. Defending and confirming the gospel. All of us, all of us share in God's grace with me. He had that bond through the gospel, a bonding friendship that would last for eternity. Verse six says this, though, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you have heard that verse before? Trust in the Lord, that he who began a good work in you will carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, there were some in Philippi, and he'd heard about them, a little disgruntled, getting sideways with one another, but he envisioned the best for them. He knew they were all in process, under process. Some of you need to hear that verse today in your own life, because you've fallen you're not where you're at spiritually, should be spiritually. You're struggling. But That he who began the good work in you is his work. He's going to finish it. He's going to keep pushing through, through thick and thin, highs and lows. He's going to complete the good work for you to become like Christ. And so as Paul remembers them and leads off this letter, he's confident. He knows that Jesus is at work in each of their lives to carry on to completion Until the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus is referring to what? The return of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I highlight these words there, feel heart with me, long for affection. The Apostle Paul is an extremely intellectual, smart person. But a lot of times we don't give him credit for the feelings and the heart that he had and he carried with him. So when you read the epistles from Paul, just don't read it as cognitive content, information stuff, theology, right? Read the heart that's behind this man. And he had deep affections for those who were in Philippi. And this is my prayer. A main part of what we look at today is right here because he was telling them he was praying for them and he was praying for them in some specific ways. So in verse nine, he says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Christians in Philippi, Christians at Temecula, I want you to have abounding love, abounding love, because he knew that The love that you have for one another speaks the greatest volume to the world concerning the love Christ has for the world. But he also was a man who was, in one sense, lonely in a prison cell. And he had the love that was coming back to him from these Christians in Philippi in a love gift of a a financial offering. But he knew their affection through their words and through the stories. Abounding love. This is my prayer, too, for us in this church, in your life, that you will have love that may abound more and more. And how is that love to abound more and more? In knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Informed discernment. Just not wishy-washy kind of thinking, or oh, hearsay, or here's opinion, but Deep knowledge, knowledge and depth of insight—not just head knowledge, but there's a knowledge that's of the spirit, and the knowledge of the spirit is a is a deep insight knowledge that can be revealed to you from God. Yes, through your mind you have it, then, but He's not just talking about mere uh, information, but deep insight, so that you can discern. That's why we're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's spend some time learning truth fresh and anew from this epistle to apply to our life. So your love, may your love flow in knowledge and depth of insight. This has to do with with spiritual insight, moral insight. And in that love and that knowledge, they would be bound together even more. And may it be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. As I mentioned, the day of Christ references Christ's return. Paul thought Christ was going to return any moment, any moment. And here's Paul saying, this is my prayer for all of you to be pure and blameless. And he has this eternal perspective then that you've got to be thinking ahead. Each of us need to be thinking ahead. you got your worries, your woes, your disappointments, the joy stealers that happened in your life. Oh, step back and say, maybe it's because I don't have an eternal perspective. I'm trying to wring everything around out of this 70, 80 years that God would so give me. And he's saying, I want you to step back the eternal perspective, and that you would be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. So abounding love was a part of his prayer. That prayer for the abounding love was anchored in an informed discernment as you would grow in knowledge and depth of insight, and that you would have this eternal perspective and remain pure and blameless until that day. And then fourthly, in this simple prayer passage, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That there would be righteous living. So those four things. Abounding love informed into sermon, eternal perspective. Righteous living are embedded right there in verses 9 through 11 as a prayer. You want a good prayer to pray for somebody else? You're sort of running out of words. You're tired of praying for them. You don't know how to pray for them. Find the prayers in scripture. Let them lead you. Let those four areas lead you in prayers for other people, for family members, for friends for those who walk with Jesus, for those who are far from Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul had said that there's four prepositions that describe people as of their relationship to Christ. There are people without Christ. There are people who are believers and they're in Christ. There are those who labor and work for Christ. And then those who are believers someday will be with Christ. All four categories of people. Without Christ, in Christ, for Christ, with Christ. Let's pray one for another and that we may be able to be bound together as Christ intended us to be bound together as friends, as partners in the gospel of Jesus. To the glory and the praise of God. So that's the first part of the letter. I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser for the second part as we step into it. In verse 12, it says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters. There's that term of endearment again he has. That what has happened to me, being thrown into prison, awaiting either release or execution, he didn't know, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see, the elite guard were chained to him and they would rotate every few hours. It became known throughout the whole government system that Paul had not stolen something. He was not corrupt. He was there because of his belief in Jesus Christ. He says, everybody knows that I'm here. I tell them why I'm here. I'm in chains for Christ. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The reason the apostle Paul, was able to have joy in prison it was not because of the circumstances or the people or the things that he didn't have or had or worry. He had joy because of two things. One, he saw God's plan that the gospel would spread through Rome. One chained link guard at a time. Just like in Philippi. Paul didn't go to Rome to speak. A bunch of crowds. In front of crowds. God had a plan. And it was his plan to put the gospel on the inside of the government system. One life at a time. What else do you do? You didn't have your iPhone then you would sit chained to a guard and you would tell them about the gospel and the power of Jesus. And then what was happening to Paul was inspiring others, including those in Philippi, to be strong and bold in their faith. You see, this is my statement to us this morning. Joy is fleeting when based upon circumstances. But steadfast when founded upon Christ Himself and His eternal purposes. Want to say that with me? Joy is fleeting when based upon circumstances, but steadfast when founded upon Christ Himself and His eternal purposes. I told you I had a friend many friends that I have connection with that have come across my paths in partnership of the gospel. Some of those friends were college age students. When I was a college and career pastor, I ran several small groups of young men and we envisioned what God could do through our life. I got an email from one of those men this week that I hadn't heard of from a while, but I've been praying a lot for He was actually one of the shining stars, if you will, that God rose up through some of my early years of ministry. And I was blessed just to have some type of encouragement and influence in his life. He didn't go into vocational ministry, but he went into the business world and became very successful. He became very successful and he used that business to glorify God in many ways. In fact, he would sit on a lot of ministry boards. He gave financially sacrificially in ways for ministries to move forward. I had the opportunity of going with him to India out in the middle of nowhere one time at a foot washing service. I remember where he had invested in a ministry that was devoted to reaching unreached people in the middle of the Indian masses. He had adopted kids from foreign lands. He'd helped build orphanages. He was fairly well-known and successful. But I believe it was a couple years ago he got caught in the quagmire of a system in his business that was corrupt. And as a lead financial officer, he was maybe not due diligence in hindsight, but the CEO embezzled money, Um, getting kickbacks from governments raided by legal authorities, the houses were. He was oblivious, in his words, of what was going on because they kept it hidden from him, because they knew that he was too moral of an upright person, that they wouldn't be going along with all that happened. Two years of crushing blows, tremendous expensive lawyer bills, But just a few weeks ago, he decided the best way forward was him to do a plea bargain deal because he just couldn't deal with it anymore. I got a letter, an email from him. He's not in prison, but he's facing the possibility of prison. He sent me this letter, not knowing how things were interacting and going on. And I'm sure he sent it to several people as he's seeking to face his sentencing time, and it simply said this. Dear Carrie, good to hear from you. I'll skip a bunch of it. He says, my sentence hearing is scheduled for July 6th. My attorney is requesting probation only, but I do have exposure for some months at a federal prison camp. It's all in the how hands of a newly appointed judge who is known to be very tough. And I want you to listen to these two paragraphs. It's almost to me like a modern-day Paul because I wanted to know how he was doing. Different people told me that, hey, he's old to decay, but you know, he's sort of distant and, and sort of to himself, these kinds of things. I mean, he's got kids. His wife's concerned about everything, of course. He says this, throughout this crazy journey, God has been so faithful to provide many signposts to remind us that his hand is in all this and that we can fully trust him. It's such a blessing to be placed in a position where we have nothing else to lean on but Him. We are learning to depend and trust like never before, which is His gift to us. We have also discovered that through suffering and humiliation, so many spiritual truths and gifts follow. I wanted you to be in the loop with what has been happening. I so appreciate your prayers for God's perfect will to be unfolded completely. I think of how Mother Teresa used to pray that God would do whatever he wanted with her, and to not even worry about her, just do his perfect will. We long for that same perfect will, where we are completely removed and just serve as his instrument, his pencil, that he can do and write whatever he wishes. My brother in Christ, through the fire, through the difficulties, through the missteps, has the heart of an apostle Paul. Whatever. Whatever. Hashtag, join Christ. Paul didn't have an Instagram account from that prison. But if he did, that's what he would do. Hashtag. Joy in Christ. I am in chains for Christ. What are you in chains with today? That you're not seeing the joy in it. Because your focus is on your own pleasure. And not on the glory of God. And the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tragedy could befall any of us tomorrow. Maybe it's befallen you in the last week, month. Circumstances, people, things, worry have stolen your joy. But if you elevate your thoughts to Jesus Christ and have his mind for his purposes, you will find joy. Joy is fleeting when based upon circumstances, but steadfast when found and grounded and rooted in Christ himself and his eternal purposes. Amen.